Well, dear congregation, I would ask you to please turn now your very prayerful attention to that passage of Holy Scripture that I read to you in your hearing there in the Gospel of Luke and the 20th chapter. And this evening, with the Lord's help, I want us to consider this occasion where the Pharisees came to the Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to trip him up in their so-called craftiness. They hated him, they despised him, there was envy in their hearts. The words that we find in verse 25 we will take for our text this evening. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. Luke 20, verse 25. And he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. Lord, helping me this evening. All this is happening because of the wickedness of men's hearts. How foolish it is. These men who had heard, and many of them had heard the Lord Jesus Christ even teach in the temple, even we know at the age of 12 years old, his parents found him there teaching the elders, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And even for many years they had marveled at him. And he seemed to somewhat disappear for a while and come back now in these three-year ministry. And again, in chapter 19, he has just gone in the temple and he's driven out all the money changers and those who sold doves. The temple was meant to be a house of prayer. It was his father's house, a house of prayer. Notice verse 45 of chapter 19, and he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein, and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And they were annoyed at this. And he taught daily in the temple, we read, verse 47, But the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. And they come, don't they, as we begin chapter 20, Asking him, on what account of authority does he have to do all of these things? And they thought they could trip him up with a question about John the Baptist's baptism. Was it from the Lord or was it from men? Well, if he answered, if it was from men, well, we're told here that they would try to kill them because they believed that John was a prophet sent from God. If he said from God, he said, well, why wouldn't you listen to John the Baptist? They heard him for a while. But remember when John the Baptist said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Go forth and bear fruit, meet or worthy in keeping of repentance. And say not to yourself, you have Abraham as your father. They prided themselves as being Jews, and they prided themselves as being teachers of the law, but they weren't keepers of the law. They knew the law, but they only wanted to keep the law in a very strict way. 
They only kept the law, they gave tithes right down to the finest detail, but they neglected the weightier matters of the law. They were legalists. They didn't love God, they didn't love fellow men. They didn't have true saving religion, and that's true of so many. So many who are churchgoers today, they have an outward form of religion, but there's no power in the life. There's no love to God. There's no love to fellow men. They're not changed people. The summary of the law, we're told in Leviticus 19, is to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. The Lord Jesus just reiterated it a few times in the gospel when he was asked by the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees, which is the chief commandment? And he answered them always correctly. It's, the first is this, is to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second, the second being the second table of the law, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And these so-called religious men didn't keep either of those. And what we will see this evening, as we come to this answer of the Lord Jesus, where they come to him with a second question, they come to him with a coin. They come to him with a penny, with a, a denarius. This penny, you notice verse 24. They asked in verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute unto Caesar? Or the word tribute there can mean tax. To Caesar or no. But he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt ye me? He knew their heart. He knew that this was not a question asked with a good motive, but it was a question asked with a very bad motive. They wanted to destroy him. I want to consider here these words tonight. Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's and unto God the things which be God's. So I've given the context. He's driven people who were exchanging, using the house of God as a sort of a mart to buy and sell and get gain. They had no respect for God. How wicked it was. And that's true even today. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? The Pharisees, the scribes, they allowed these things to take place. But you see, they had no real reverence for God. They allowed trade and terrible things to go on in the temple. An animal had to be brought. Everything had to be done in a prepared way, in a reverent way. But that was not being done. You could buy a cheap animal there, often a defective sacrifice. And they were making a lot of money with those sacrifices. It was easy religion. And you've got a lot of that today. Easy church, easy worship making things easy for people. They weren't really keepers of the law, but they were breakers of the law. When the Apostle Paul was a saved man, he said in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God in the inward man. There was a time when Paul thought he was a keeper of the law, but God showed him that he was a breaker of the law, that he was a sinner, that he was an unholy man. He didn't see at once that he was a covetous man that he was a worldly man. 
but he was. He coveted the praise of men. He coveted the applause of men. And this is true of most men, isn't it? Will you admire me for my church going? People want to be noticed and admired. Pride is at the heart, my friend, of every, every sin. Well, he's addressed the Pharisees. And he gives, if you notice, a very, after he deals with this whole matter of the question about John the Baptist and his baptism, he answers them. He says, I'm, I'll give you an answer, but you answer me first. And they couldn't answer him. Is John's baptism from the Lord or from men? But they weren't prepared because they were, they were insincere. They had wrong motives. If we're on the side of truth, we never have anything to worry about. It's always a truth you need to remember. I address Christians, first of all. Truth always speaks, doesn't it? And it's easy to catch the fool in his folly. And sometimes you don't answer a fool in his folly. It's what the scriptures tell us. But then he begins with a parable. It's that parable of the vine dresses. And you know from Isaiah chapter 5 that Israel was a vineyard. You can read it yourself. We don't have a great deal of time this evening to read. But Israel was always pictured as a vineyard. My beloved is a vineyard. Maybe you just wish to turn there very briefly with me. In Isaiah chapter 5. Now I will sing to my beloved, well beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. Now go to, I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned, nor digged. But there shall come a briars and thorns. I also will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And these men were meant to be the superintendents, the keepers of Israel, the teachers of the law. But they were not. They were meant to take care of the sheep. But when the Lord looked, they were with, they were a sheep without a shepherd. As he looked out in Jerusalem, there was unbelief and there was false teaching. And these men were the blind leading many blind people. Now granted, there were some whose eyes were opened, who truly were the Lord's. But these were leading so many astray. And as we come to this chapter this evening, we notice in this 
First of all, here in Luke 20, he gives a parable concerning this vineyard. What does he do? As he opens up this parable, he shows that the Lord sent prophet after prophet, year after year, didn't he, to this vineyard. And what did the teachers of Israel do? Well, they persecuted the prophets, and they killed him. And then we read here, finally, in this, in this parable, they slay the owner, son of the vineyard. And that would be the Lord Jesus. Finally, we read he sends his well-beloved son. And that reminds us when a voice was heard from heaven at his baptism, this is my well-beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. But they wouldn't hear him. Neither would they hear John the Baptist. They didn't want to repent. They loved their sin. And basically these men, they milked the people and they lined their pockets with money called Corban. They were cheating young men and saying to young men, you tell your mother and your father, I know you should look after them, but you tell them the money that you're giving to me is for God. But they kept it for themselves. They had no concern for the spiritual well-being of the flock. And so it is today even. There are many who have no concern for the souls of the sheep. It is true today. And I don't want to so much deal with preachers, but the people of the sheep. And here really this is the whole issue. Every one of us, if we claim to be the Lord's, and the Lord's people, we are his sheep, sheep of his pasture. And here, we think of this vineyard. Israel were given a place, and they were meant to glorify God. They were meant to bring fruit unto God. And let me say, this is true of the whole of the life of every human being, whether you are saved or not. Whether you are saved or not. I want us to think about two things here tonight. They bring to the Lord Jesus a coin. And you notice, seeking to trip him up, and it's interesting what Mark's gospel says. In Mark's gospel, you may wish to turn there, in chapter 12, verse 14, it says, And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true and carest for man. For thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God. In truth, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? How sly they are. If they really believed he cared about man, would they not have had a more gentle approach and a more careful approach to him? My friend, he is not just a teacher, but he is the Lord. And they ask the question, shall we give or shall we not give? Shall we render to Caesar or not? Now, really, it was a trick question. If he said it was lawful to give to Caesar, the first thing we know, it would have incited resentment on the part of the Jews. The Jews would have said, traitor! You are letting the Jews down, you're letting God down. That's what they would have said. But if he said, don't pay, 
these conniving snakes, what they would have done is they would have gone straight to Caesar and said, Caesar, by the way, we've got an insurrectionist here because the Jews were under Roman occupation. Were they not? And he would have been handed over to Herod and they would have reported him and tried to destroy him. Again, another trick question. The Lord, seeing right through all of this, he says, it says here in verse 23 of Luke 20, but he perceived their craftiness and said unto them, why tempt ye me? Show me a penny, whose image and superscription hath it. They answered and said, Caesar's. Well, of course, everybody knew this. Now, in Mark's gospel, in chapter 12, verse 15, it says, but he, knowing their hypocrisy or craftiness, it's another way of putting it. And I suppose there's a slight nuance there. They were hypocritical. They were crafty in their hypocrisy, weren't they? And they said unto them, he said unto them, why tempt ye me? Bring me the penny. And they brought it. And he asks, notice there, whose superscription is on there. Now, this what is called a penny here was the denarius. It was first minted in 269 BC. And its value was approximately the wage of a man's one day's salary, a working day. And at this time, the emperor was Tiberius Caesar. And the superscription that was on that coin was this, Emperor Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. The divine Augustus. They claimed some sort of divinity. They looked to these Caesars as sort of demigods. Render to Caesar. Well, what are the laws? Paul tells us in Romans 13. To render to the authorities that which is their due. Render every man his due. Pay your taxes. We know this is right, isn't it? And the Lord answers here in tremendous wisdom. And they brought it. And he saith unto them, whose is it? And he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We're going to think about two things here this evening. Firstly, rendering the things to Caesar that are Caesar's. Now, this is only right. We know from Romans 13, don't we? It's very clear. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. Right now, it was God's will that the Romans were occupying the land. They were under the judgment of God. They had seen it many, many times for centuries. And God was speaking to them. He, he had said, had he not, in Deuteronomy 28, that he would bring the foreign nations in the land and they would be under their subjugation and under their rule. But they wouldn't listen. And they are to pay taxes. Taxes were even taking place even the days of Solomon. 
and then his son Rehoboam, and it was on the account of taxes, by the way, that was the beginning of the spark of the great trouble between Judah and Israel, remember? Because Solomon's son Rehoboam said he would raise the taxes. He said, if you think my father was hard, wait and see what sort of a man I'm going to be. And he raised the taxes. It wasn't a wise thing. But the Bible does teach us to render our due, to be honest, to pay. Of course, taxes are used to pay for military forces, for the roads that we drive on, for the things that we enjoy, the amenities and the, the things that we have in society. Of course, nothing is scot-free. And many people will use the roads, but they won't pay their road taxes. Many people work in employment, but they won't pay their taxes. It should never be said that a Christian does not render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Peter tells us it is a terrible thing if a Christian should suffer for evil, for wrong. It's a blight to ever hear that a Christian has been put in prison for tax evasion. We pay our council taxes. We pay all taxes. We pay all dues. And that we avoid offense to all men. That we have a conscience void of offense before God and men. It's right that we pay our taxes. It's right, Paul tells us in Romans 13, that same chapter, to give honor to whom honor is due. Honor the office of the king. Honor the office of the magistrates. We are told there in Romans chapter 13 that the sword is given for man's good. The justice and law and order is for our good and we should thank God. We live in a relatively civilized society. I know it's not as civilized as we'd like it to be. But friends, I've lived in some parts of the world that you'd not want to live in. And we should be thankful for what we have. We're told in Ecclesiastes 10.20, Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. We are to honor those who are over us. Of course, but if they ask us to sin, we must not honor. We must rather obey God than man in such occasions. We would never debate that, would we? But render to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's the first thing. And let me say this. Uh, even, you know, the unsaved man, he knows it's wrong to evade tax. But how shameful it is when we hear of a Christian not doing so. When we hear of a Christian being dishonest, there's nothing worse. It brings a blight upon the name of Jesus Christ. And what, do we, what, do, what else do we owe? We, we owe not just to pay taxes, but we owe commitment and service. We, we, we serve even as David served his generation. And let me say, these things are good. And those of you who are not saved, let me say, being a Christian 
He's not saying, we are not under any authority. No, that's not a Christian. And there are many people like that. We live in our little community and we'll not owe give any respect to people, that is not a Christian. Not a Christian at all. And we want you to know that. Because there are some that sport the name Christian and do such things. And they bring a tremendous blight, my unsafe friend. We'd just like to tell you that is not our spirit. That is not our heart. And rather, what do we do? We, we, we live honest lives before men. We work hard in our work. We don't steal the time of our employers. We labor and we're sincere. We're not men-pleasers. Now some men-pleasers only work hard when the boss is working. But we realize that there is one that sees all things. What else do we owe men? When we render to Caesar, we owe them our prayers. I, I want you to know this, my unsaved friend. We not only pray for you, but we pray, and in fact we are commanded in Scripture to pray for those in authority, for kings, for rulers, for those in high places, for various reasons. Why? Because we know it is God that raises them and can remove them. And we pray that they might bring forth godly laws. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority. Why? That we might live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. It's another reason why we render to Caesar and men we are good, we are honest, we should be honest people before men. But there are times, of course, when they expect us to sin against God. And we honor them in this way, we don't honor their sin. But we honor God when they expect us to sin. Don't we? We should do. Well, there are many things we can say about rendering to Caesar. Now, when we think of money here, and we think of this coin that they bought, he says, show me a penny, verse 24, whose image and superscription hath it. As I said, this image had Caesar on, and there was that superscription. It was bearing his image, and they are to bear to the bearer, to the king, to the monarch. But here's another thing. You and I are made in the image of God. And I'm speaking to everyone here. Saved and unsaved. God has stamped his image upon the very fabric of your being. And you are made in the image of God. Are you not? Everyone is. Whether you're saved or not. They were bringing Caesar's image. But he was saying to them, now, you render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but I am telling you, you render to God what is God's. But you haven't been doing it. What about this vineyard I've been telling you about? What about this baptism of John? What about my father's temple? 
Have you? Now, there are some people who would say they're Christians. And I'd remind us all that we're made in the image of God. And if we are born again, we are being renewed in the likeness of God. And we are to bear the image of God. And in that way, we render to God what is God's. Do we not? God has stamped upon the image of every man. And I want to use this as a trajectory now to preach the gospel, to bring the gospel. Think of when God made man there. If you just turn to Genesis 1, 26, and God said, let us, there's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and so on, and over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. Now, what a wonderful image that must have been. What a glorious being Adam must have been. And what a glorious Sabbath day that must have been when there was the perfect man standing before Almighty God with his wife, Adam and Eve, in the very presence of God. And as they walked with God and they talked with God, he made them male and female and he created them. And everything was perfect. But how everything was destroyed very quickly in that garden. Man was made in the image of God and God said it was good. When he looked at Adam, it was good. But then sin came, didn't it? And then there was lies. He lied about her. She lied about him. And they used the devil and each other against each other, didn't they? And the world is just perpetuated in sin. And things got so bad, didn't they? So we get to Genesis 6. And it grieved the heart of God that he had made man. And he said that he would destroy man, made in his image. And then we read, after the flood, he said to Noah, Whosoever sheddeth a man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. In 1 Corinthians eleven seven, we read, For man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. He's talking about worship. He says, men, you don't cover your heads in worship. Because you were made in the image of God. Adam was made first. And the husband is head of the wife. But the woman, he says, is the glory of man. It's not saying that the woman is any less. She is taken from man. And man is to reflect the glory of God. Man doesn't when he covers his head. Now, we think of this coin that they brought he said, whose superscription? Caesar's. Now, but you, he wasn't, didn't turn, he didn't flip the coin, did he? It's not, it's not turning the other side of the coin yet. But he says, now you render to God what is God's. What is stamped upon you? You are made, and they knew it, you are made in the image of God. 
Now, I want to think tonight about the image of God. And where is the image? We're told that man made, God made man a living soul. Now, the coin, people have dug up the old coins of the Roman Empire. And I've seen some of them. You've probably seen some of them, pictures of them. But those will eventually fade away. But the soul is immortal, isn't it? The body is mortal. This body is dying. This body is going to go to the grave, my friend. Please praise God as we read here. There's going to be a resurrection. We read how there is going to be no marriage in heaven. But the body will be raised. But right now when we die, this immortal soul either goes to be with God who gave it. If we render to God what is God's, or we will be cast off forever. And he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. The soul is immortal. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, did he not in Matthew 10? He said in verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And while the soul may go to hell, it never dies. It's the place of everlasting torment, friend. And the soul has eternity stamped on it. But the soul has the image of God because, as we read, man is made in the image of God and stamped upon you are his laws. You know, it's interesting. You read of the Sabbath in Genesis 14. Sorry, Exodus 14, before they get to Mount Sinai. And they were keeping the Sabbath. Why? Because the Sabbath goes right back, does it not, to Genesis chapter 2. It was a, a perpetual day that the Lord established. We're told in Hebrews 9, Hebrews 4, 9, that there remaineth a Sabbath keeping for the Lord's people. So the law was there. Man knows. He's bored. He knows that it's wrong to steal. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to commit murder. It's wrong to bear false witness. He knows all of these things. It's wrong to commit adultery. Yet these were adulterous men. And you see, their whole lives, they were not rendering to God. We all have the image of God stamped upon us. We all know in the fabric of our moral being, we have a conscience. We know right from right, wrong from wrong. When they were testing him and trying him, they knew it was wrong. They hated him. Because that image is fallen. It's marred. I want us to think tonight. What is it to render to God? What is God's? Think of this parable that he just gave. The vineyard. They were meant to bring forth fruit. Israel were given the laws, the covenants. They were given the oracles of God. They were given tremendous blessings. They'd seen so many wonders and signs, and they had the prophets, and yet they slew the prophets. Every time they heard the truth, they slew the truth. They tried to silence God. And finally, they will put his son 
to death. And did you read there, he said, this is the stone which the builders rejected. And this was the Lord's doing. The Lord knew his son would be rejected. But then he would have to suffer and he would have to die on account of his people, wouldn't he? Did you not read there that on whom this, whoever falls on this stone shall be broken? But whoever this stone falls on shall be crushed to powder. What does that mean? Whoever falls on the stone, it's the picture of the posture of recumbency, the person who leans and falls on Christ, the rock. That person will be a broken person. That person will be poor in spirit. That person will be meek. And they will be mild. But whoever the stone falls on will be crushed to powder. Because he is God and the judge of all men. Now I want you to bear that in mind as we ask what is it to render to God the things which are God's. Now I said being a Christian is more the gospel is more than believing on Christ. Remember what the Lord said, Whosoever heareth my words and keepeth them, the same is this wise man that shall be built upon the rock, that when the floods come, that house will stand and not be destroyed. The person that is truly a Christian has not only heard the gospel, but is now rendering to God the things that are God's, is giving to God the things that are truly God's. Remember what the Lord Jesus said? Many will say in that day, didn't we preach in thy name? Didn't we cast out devils in thy name? He will say, I didn't know you. You're workers of iniquity. You never rendered to God the things that are God's. You never rendered to me your being. You were a Christian in name. You said you loved me. But you didn't. What should we render to God? Honor. Shouldn't we? God is worthy of honor. Solomon, at the end of his life, at the end of his swan song there in Ecclesiastes 12, chapter 12, he said, this is the whole conclusion. He said, let us hear it. Fear God, keep his commandments. That is the product of somebody that has received the gospel. Hear me. That is the product of somebody that is saved. Not somebody that's just heard. But somebody now that is rendering to God. Do you remember when he came to them and he said, you give tithes in everything. Your cumin and anise and you give tithes. He said, these things you ought to have done. He said, you should do those things. But the weightier matters of the Lord you have neglected. You're hypocrites. You do the bare minimum. You're not really rendering to God 
You've not got a changed heart. Now, don't get me wrong, the Christian is not perfect. But he does desire to render to God. Because God gave his son. Because this owner, or the son of the owner of the vineyard was slain for them. The first thing we should give to God is honor. Solomon says, the whole conclusion is this. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is, this is what makes a man. This is what makes a man happy. The commandments of God don't bring us into a drudgerous, gray, dark life. But they bring us into liberty to know God. The Lord Jesus, when he came into this world, he himself could say those words. I delight to do thy will, O God. It was his delight to live as a perfect man. Paul could say it as a saved man. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. What else should we give God? Not just honor, but glory. We should give him glory in everything. You don't just honor him, but you give him glory. There's a difference. You honor him by obedience, but you give him glory. You don't promote yourself. You see, the Christian life is of one of seeing ourselves of what we are, friends. Nothings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you just turn to Jeremiah 9, verse 23, we read, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But he says, you know what? If you want to glory, let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. That's one thing to glory in, friends, God. That you understand and know God. Well, what do you know about God? Notice, that I am the Lord which exercises loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth. Loving kindness to such unworthy people. Can you not glory in somebody that is so loving and kind to unworthy, wicked people? That's what you should glory in. The goodness of God. Judgment, that's the deliverance of God. And righteousness, he's righteous in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. He delights in mercy. Now the person who glories in God, glories in God's mercy. God has been merciful to me. And now I must render to him. My whole life I owe him everything. I owe him my life. There was a time in my life I did not render to God. There's a time in my life I lived in so much darkness. Now I, I, I glory in God. Remember what Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, he said once, he said, I was a Jew of Jews. 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, so righteous, so legal was he, persecuting the church. But then God awakened him to his pride and his sin. Now I want you to notice just there in Jeremiah 9, it says in verse 25, now notice on the backdrop of all that, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. Look, the issue is not whether you've been circumcised or you're uncircumcised. The Jew boasted in his circumcision. The Gentile might be saying, well, I'm glad I'm not like him, the Mr. Hypocrite, Mr. Jew. He's been circumcised, but look at him, he's an ungodly man. Both are punished. What's God saying? What makes the difference? Paul tells us in Romans 2, it's neither circumcision or uncircumcision that avails anything, but to be circumcised in the heart, to be changed, to have a new heart, to render to God what is God's. My friend, that is what it is to render to God what is God's. To live as Christ. And you can plug that in any area of your life. Unsaved people do not render to God what is God's, and it doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them. It's a solemn warning, isn't it? He who does not render to God will not see God. Render to God the things that are God's. In Jeremiah 13, we have a solemn warning to sinners. We read these words, Give glory to the Lord your God before he cause darkness and before your feet stumble upon the mountains. People didn't give glory to God. Now, look. God saves a man, not simply to take him to heaven, but to glorify him in this world and to enjoy him. To glorify God is to enjoy him, my friend. If you are seeking the Lord simply to go to heaven, you have no idea. You can't have sin in the world and have heaven. You can't have this world and God. But God can and does bless his people in this world. He does provide all the needs of his people. And when they learn to trust him, when they render to God, he renders a blessed life to that soul. He really does. You see, life is in the sun. And he says, if a man loses his life, for my sake, he will find it. But if a man says, I'll keep my life, I won't render to God, he won't have a life. He won't know God. And he won't know heaven. 
Render to God. What, what should you render to God? Whatever he says in his word. Whatever he says. What's the first thing God commands? Repent. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because you've sinned. Don't repent simply because you want to go to heaven. That's the wrong reason to repent. You should repent because you have grieved God and he hates sin. But you should honor the Lord. And repent means to turn from sin and to continue on doing something that you know is wrong. That's not repenting. There are plenty of people who know they should honor the Lord's day, but they don't honor the Lord's day. I want to ask you the question, what was the Lord Jesus Christ's custom? Every Sabbath, he was in the temple. We read it, don't we? What was his custom? We read in Luke 4, 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And you know those that went along were blessed. Because what did he do? He opened up the word of God. And he preached himself from Isaiah. He said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What was the scripture? The scripture was, he stood up and delivered unto them the prophet of Isaiah when he had opened the book he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Not political prisoners, but prisoners captives to sin. And my friend, this here in this church, in every true church, is where you will hear the same gospel preached, where Christ sets prisoners free, so that sinners may render to God what is God's. And God requires it for the good of our souls that we render to him this day. It's called the Lord's Day, which we give to him. And he gives back to us. Blessed be God that he gives back to us. We who can give him nothing but praise and glory and honor, he gives back to us. And he puts life in us. And he shows us the emptiness of this life, my friend. As it is said, a Sabbath well spent breeds a week of content or brings a week of content. If you have not known the Lord's blessing on the Lord's day, how will you know his blessing in the week ahead? When you have forsaken the best day as we sang this morning, the blessed emblem of eternal rest. Render to God what is God's. 
That's the Christian life, isn't it? What did God give? God gave his son to die for sinners, that he might live in their hearts too, and that he might live in their lives, and that one day he's going to raise us to heaven. Look at these foolish men arguing about the temple, about John the Baptist. They're just trying to trip him up. They're jealous. They're envious. They're full of pride. And then they even come with a subject of marriage. Whose wife is she going to be, by the way? Trying to trip him up. And we read these Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. But what fools they proved themselves to be when he said, well, don't you remember what Moses said about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? God is the God of the living. There's a better world to go to. The world of God's people who render to God what is God's. Now, my friend, a sinner must begin here. Repent. And that means turn. Forsake sin. That's the first thing God requires. Render. And then you render to his son. Praise for coming into the world and dying for such stinking, rotten sinners and giving his life as a ransom for many. And you never stop rendering to God. Because I tell you this, when you render to God, you're so blessed. Caesar will always take and take and take. But God loves to bless. He really does love to bless. He loves to have mercy. And he has mercy on those who never rendered to him. But the time to render is now. Because those who do not render, we are warned in that passage. Give glory to the Lord, your God, before he calls darkness and before your feet stumble. And my friend, many will stumble and hear words such as, I never knew you. I never knew you. But if you are saved, you should say with me, and the psalmist, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Friends, there's nothing too great that we can do for the Lord. But I fear we do so little. Shouldn't we want to do more for him? Shouldn't this be our delight? Didn't the Lord say it's more blessed to give than to receive? I hear so many saying, I want this, I want that, I want that. Well, and here's another thing. Let me just close with this. Often we pose the wrong question to the young people. We say to young people, and even the unsaved, and we don't get them thinking on the right trajectory. We say, young man, what do you want to do with your life? That's the wrong question. We should say, what do you want to do for God? What do you think you should do for God? How are you going to honor God? What are you going to render to God? And that's how we need to wake up every day saying, what shall I give to God? What shall I render to God? We'll render to Caesar. 
But my friend, never forget to render to God and to render thanks if you're saved for his son. Amen. Friends, there was only one who truly rendered unto God the things that are God's. And that is the Lord Jesus who said, Father, I have glorified thy name. And sinners, a man is only accepted through Jesus Christ. And when he is accepted through Christ, he knows it and he feels it. And he wants to render to God what is God's due. That is, thanks and praise for all that God has done. And we render our life back to him. And we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices, pleasing unto him. Let us pray.